Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Welcome to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have a group of parents joining me to discuss the language debate. Um, and when we talk about the language debate is there's a lot of different terminology out there that um, different populations use to describe individuals uh, on the autism spectrum. And so we're going to talk about um, that language debate and why, number one, um, you feel like, you know, where do we think this debate is coming from? And, and I, I'm interested to hear your guys' perspective on it. Like, you know, what terminology do you like? Is there certain um, terms uh, or language that when you hear get you just cringy? That's what I call it. It's just, you know, it's like cringy for me. Um, so why don't we start with my top left because we are recording virtually. And David, you are on my top left when I'm looking at my, I call it my Brady Bunch screen. So David, um, how do you feel about the language debate? Are you fairly benign to it? It doesn't really bother you or is it something that you feel is, are there terms and and language that um, resonate with you or get you cringy? Like I just said. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, I don't have any strong feelings yet, but as soon as other people start bringing stuff up, that's what really kind of, um, generates my conversation. I will say, and my wife is not here to defend herself and she cares about something that I don't, which is she does not like the term autistic child. My child is not autistic. It's a child with autism. And I, I honestly don't know the differentiation, but I am not debating around this subject. I don't know if anybody has read across this. This is not an autistic child. It is a child with autism. It doesn't, I guess, define, you know, I don't know what specifically it is. And she's not here to defend herself, but she declared that pretty early on. You will never hear her say autistic child. I have no problem one way or the other with however, you know, in that realm how people refer to it, whether it's autistic, child with autism, that kind of thing. But that is just one that like, you know, and I, I kind of like the debate. Meg doesn't. Um, so, um, <laughs> well, dang, you know, where's, where's like, Meg? Dial her up. Get her on this podcast. Yeah. No, but I, I just like to engage in conversation, which is you could have rational debate. But on that one, once you declared it, I just, in my house, I, it's a child with autism. That's, that's how I, and, um, I think out in the world, I still do that just as a routine practice, so I don't sit back in front of her. However, I don't care if anybody uses the, the term autistic. It doesn't bother me at all, but it's just an interesting dynamic within my own home. Yes. Well, David, that is actually called people first language. And actually, it is a whole movement out there in terms of not just when we're talking about people with autism. It actually is for individuals with Down syndrome, um, cerebral palsy. Um, so, you know, and, and we could even, you know, conversations about currently because we're in the midst of um 
some some rioting going on in various cities, you know, when you're talking about people of color, you know, are they and so you could apply the people first language across all different contexts. It's not just when you're talking about a person with autism, but I'm going to be here, David, with your wife. I'm going to tell you that that's one of my cringy terms because but here's the funny thing. Originally, it didn't resonate with me. Um it actually was just over time, it just didn't feel good when, you know, saying my autistic son. Um, and so, in fact, because the Isaac um, acronym is um, Intervention Services and, Atis- and Assistance for Autistic Children, um, was actually what the a- acronym was for Isaac. And so, but over time, it just became more and more cringy for me. And so... Um, and nobody knows us by our acronym anyway, so it wasn't really an issue. But for me, um, and I think it was hard. It was maybe more with Caleb. He just said one day, he says, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know what it means to be autistic. I'm just Caleb. And so for me, I was kind of like, okay, because um, he doesn't know what it means to be autistic. And so in our house, we're, you know, we we use people first language. However... With that being said, I have quite a few self-advocates. So when we're talking about terminology, self-advocates are individuals that they themselves um, advocate for themselves and um, but are on the autism spectrum or, um, you know, even could be self-advocate could mean, you know, person with Down syndrome that is, uh, you know, advocating for themselves. But so self-advocates, I have a lot of self-advocates that like prefer the terminology of an autistic, like, you know, my name is such and such, and I'm an autistic. And that's like good language for them. Um, But for some people with autism, like Caleb in particular, it's not, it's not his preference, because again, he doesn't know what it means to be autistic. He's just Caleb. So um, how about Tanya, you're my next, you know, square in the Brady Bunch here. So what's your feeling on this, Tanya, when we're talking about cringy um, terms or ones that you like, it doesn't even have to be things that drive you nuts, just ones that I you think prefer. So along with what David said, I don't have strong opinions on it either way. I automatically just say I have a child with autism. That's just what I use, but it's not something I feel like there's bigger issues in the world than terminology. And I mean, if someone tells me they have a preference, I'll use their preference, but it's not something that really bothers me either way. It's not even something I ever thought about until I talked to other people who have strong preferences on it. Agreed. Um, the other um, question is, has anybody ever asked you like what your preference is in terms of terminology? No, I don't think anyone's ever asked me my preference. Would you be offended if somebody did? Like what terms do you prefer? No. I I wouldn't. I would be like, wow, you get the deal, right? Maria, you're my next square on the Brady Bench. Tell me about your preferences or cringy terms. I guess I don't really necessarily have any cringy terms. And I think I might have even got this term that I um, have used to help describe Josiah is heavily touched by autism. Um, That's kind of my go-to because it's a quick explanation of his overall diagnosis that will be beneficial to those who need to know how heavily touched he is by autism. Um, A lot of times when I'm introducing him as such, I don't have a lot of time to describe the differences, like if he's heavily touched or moderate to mild, um, because he's often eloping. So I have to make 
his greeting, um, Fast and Furious. Yes. <laughs> We're going to talk about the whole eloping thing in a different podcast <laughs> later on. But yes. Um, so I just naturally gravitate towards like my son's heavily touched by autism. Um, I don't get cringy about autistic kiddos um, as a form of communicating with others. Um, just because of lack of exposure, I would think on their part, it would make them feel more comfortable and we're just so used to accommodating others. <laughs> right. It's kind yes. of where I'm at. I don't know if it's just me today or me in general, but just over accommodating, like just whatever makes you feel more comfortable today is yeah. I'll just go that route. <laughs> You're talking about the path of least resistance. We're so, there's so many more yeah. battles I have in my world than trying to educate you why people first language matters to my kiddo. Um, and here's mm -hmm. the reality of it. It bothers me. And right now it bothers Caleb. He might get over it or he might be a person that then strongly like corrects people. But the thing about it is, is that that becomes then his debate. He has to advocate, be a self-advocate and say, you know, hey, I, I, you know, that really isn't a term I like or um, identify with. Um, and so and, and that kind of leads to the next thing, the term Asperger's versus autism like um, see and to me the difference is important just if you're meeting somebody for the first time because I have such exposure to both I need to know I would appreciate knowing where they are on the spectrum to get myself in a situation where I know how to best engage with them for me I like that information yeah just to kind of navigate Upon first meeting. I agree. And here's an interesting thing. I just watched kind of a, I don't know if it was a TikTok or if it was just a YouTube video that went viral, but it was a young woman who is uh, touched by autism and she's a female. So she was talking about some of the um, gender myths about autism and the prevalency rate and, and so on. And some of it was really, really like dead on. I'm like, yes, you go girl. Like that is so accurate because she is a self-advocate. Um, she... But where she lost me was when, you know, get the terminology of high functioning, low functioning or Asperger's out of your vocabulary because it just hurts us as a group. And I strongly disagree because exactly what you're saying, Maria, and because from her perspective, um, you know, she's saying it stigmatizes um, individuals with autism. And I totally I don't see it like that at all. It's providing information because there it is such a it's a stretched out spectrum. And it's so long that it wouldn't be fair for me to I don't think it's fair to not be able to give additional information. Now, keep in mind, too, I live in a yeah. house where I have a, you know, and we say severely impacted kiddo with autism. And then we have Caleb who is, you know, higher, he's high functioning. And so he, you know, is, has conversation. And so she really gets offended by the term high functioning because like we're all on the spectrum and it's just the spectrum. The spectrum is the same. And, and it's so in my world, it is so not, so not the same. Um, and so I didn't feel like that was really fair um, as a self advocate to throw out there that we should just throw a lot of this terminology away because you're kind of throwing it's like you're you're not then giving any consideration to those that are more significantly impacted by autism so i i don't think that that's necessarily fair to do you know but david we have had a conversation about severity and high functioning and and so that's have you recap that because i think we've had talked about that a little bit on another podcast but i think there's a lot of validity to what you're saying and you don't 
spit out the terminology high functioning anymore. Yeah, initially we did. And Maria, I think this really tags on what you're talking about and, and what you just said too, um, Holly, which is, you know, somebody's exposure to autism might have just been a very severe case. And that was like the only exposure. So then they observe somebody, uh, you know, who's higher functioning and somebody tells them like, well, they don't appear to have autism. Like, that's not my experience. Like, well, there are different, there are variations. But if you don't allow for those variations, how is anybody going to know, you know, what to look for or what it looks like. But to your point on this one, Holly, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my reasoning for referring to Morgan as high functioning is still clinging to the hope that because she's high functioning at some point, she's going to snap out of this because she's high functioning. And I mean, it was really coming to terms with the fact that like, as you said, what the perception out there of what high functioning autism is. These people that have amazing splinter skills that are going to go on and excel in certain areas. And we certainly have not found that with Morgan yet. Um, uh, you know, and we, I, you know, I'm of the belief that she probably will be in our care for most of our lives or in some care situations. So in kind of differentiating for, you know, for myself, but for people too, I don't want those labels attached like, Oh, well, you should expect some sort of amazing, you know, accomplishment, that kind of thing. You know, I don't want to set myself up for like any unrealistic expectations. I want to be pleasantly surprised for sure. Yes. But yeah, you know, and you know, I'm not, I'm not selling her short in any way. I'm just trying to come to, you know, it was really for me to kind of come to terms with what we're dealing with at the same time, just so that, you know, I didn't have to like explain to people, you know, well, here's the difference between some high functioning and other high functioning. You know what? She has autism. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I, and you, when you, we had that conversation that you have some really good points there because at the end of the day, it is autism. And I, I think also too, you know, there is such a range of what high functioning, even within the range of high functioning autism or ASD level one, there is a big range of function and ability within the ASD level one. So, um, yeah, so I, I feel like there is definitely um, some, um, I, I completely understand what you're saying there. So um, next question, um, how do you or do you have, do your kids know or understand or identify with the term neurodiverse? Because Maria, you're in um, a household too where you have um Josiah, who's in your care, who's heavily impacted, but um, you also, one of your other kiddos is more high functioning. So he, um, I'm trying to, I have a little technical, diff, I'm unmuting you. Oh, perfect. Okay. So has he, with your higher functioning son, does he have any like preference? Does he identify with autism at all? Cause he's more of a teenager. So he's farther <laughs> ahead in my world. Um, you know, Caleb's just 12. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that um, that's even a concern of his, honestly. He has some bigger life things going on that he's trying to navigate where um, I don't know that he even considers himself autistic because he barely qualifies. And depend on who you ask, he doesn't qualify, just depending on who's administering the tests. Um, but watching him grow up and, you know, watching him throughout the years, it's very clear that there are some deficits that mirror the higher end of the spectrum for autism. Um, but he doesn't associate himself with it at all. But I think he kind of has that choice to be 
identifying with it or not because it's not it impacts him on a daily basis but not it could be labeled as something else sure yeah i mean i hear a lot oh that makes any sense like yeah i hear a lot of people will say oh my child doesn't have autism they have adhd yeah okay um and so, yeah, I mean, because there are obviously with autism, there is a lot of attention deficit and hyperactivity that can go with it. So it's kind of like, oh, yes. yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, you know, no, no problem. I do like the term neurodiverse because basically it kind of implies that um, it doesn't imply it basically means that um, it's just, you know, these are the characteristics that make this person unique. And it doesn't mean that it's, you know, so neurodiverse just means that mm-hmm. they're diverse in those characteristics, but it's not a flaw. And so I do really like that in terms of like language. And I, and I'm seeing it more and more with, um, with our self advocates. Um, and those that don't quite feel, they don't really identify on that autism spectrum because like what you're saying, Maria, it's just kind of like, you know, on that very high function, very capable individuals. But again, you know, one provider may look at it through this lens and be like, yes, definitely meets the criteria for ASD level one or high functioning autism or Asperger's, depending on, you know, your generation. Um, But, you know, other another provider may look at it and be like, nope, just attention deficit, um, hyperactivity disorder. And so I like that neurodiverse concept, that movement in that, um, you know, no one is saying that there's a flaw. You know, neurodiversity is amazing. That's what makes us all unique. And so I feel like as we move forward and um, our population ages, we're probably going to see more of that neurodiverse terminology coming out, maybe. how Have you seen it at all, Tanya or David? Um, I've seen it a little bit. Um, my son, Logan, who's nine, doesn't really know what that would mean yeah but he's still a little young yeah yeah i see it more in high school and college and in the 20s is where i'm tending to see it right now so but he's uh, very literal minded so like he knows he has autism but he'll be the first to be like but i don't have he, he thinks that when he thinks of like he's like but i don't have a disability he'll be the first to like say yes Okay, so Tanya, you touched on this. And then David, I'm going to hop over to you because I think David, you had a point. That is so true because Caleb was disgusted when he saw something like on one of his little um, like because he likes to surf like the CNBC because he's my little news kid. But he saw something about, you know, autism as a disability. And he's like, I'm not disabled, you know, la, 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 la. And he was fired up. Well, and when Logan thinks of disability in his head, he thinks of physical disabilities. Correct. And so when he sees like, he's like, I'm not, I don't have a disability. I can run. I can jump. Like he's thinking of physical stuff when he thinks of disability. He's like, he's like, I don't have a disability. And he's going to be the first to tell you that. Well, and I do a lot of training um, on, you know, for first responders and even teachers. And one of the, we talk about this, actually, um, there's a big difference between autism is a disability for some individuals, like, you know, for Cooper, my stepson. That is a, a profound disability. And Maria, you know, I'm sure you're you would say Josiah definitely meets the criteria for disabled. But for Caleb, and that's what I was trying to explain to him, we're not talking about always physical disabilities. And also you have to remind teachers and first responders this too. You know, Caleb, because of autism, he's differently cognitively, he's differently able. There's nothing physically disabled about him, but cognitively his brain works differently and how he processes the world is different. So that just makes him differently abled, not disabled. And he love he's like, yes. 
differently. Differently abled makes a lot more sense for him, but he also has to understand. And this is where, you know, if you're a self advocate and you're listening to that, if you're, that you're a person with autism listening to this podcast, you know, understand that, you know, what we know it's hard because this is a spectrum. And so we can't just pick language that defines everyone. And so that's where it's like, you know, differently abled for Caleb feels really comfortable, but Caleb cannot deny the fact that his stepbrother is disabled because of how autism affects him. Yeah. And I would say with Logan, he's actually more heavily impacted because like you say, autism comes with so many comorbid conditions. Yes. He's more heavily impacted by anxiety than anything else. Crippling anxiety, yes. Anxiety is caught, like most of his behaviors are caused by severe, severe anxiety. Yes. Yeah, no, that is a really good point. But again, you know, some live with, you know, um, you know, I've actually, you know, had one of my friends who's a physical therapist, and she pointed out a long time ago when she was, we, I made the mistake of referring to a man, I think he was missing his leg or maybe an arm, like, you know, oh, well, yeah, he, you know, he was disabled, he was missing arm or leg. And she says, you know, you got to be really careful about calling someone disabled, even when they're missing a physical limb, because they don't see themselves as disabled. You know, they're very highly capable, and it's not a disability. Even those that are paraplegic oftentimes don't feel like that terminology defines them. And so I think that's just something to keep in mind when we're talking about, you know, disabled versus differently abled. Um, David, you were going to make a point, and then David, are you still there, my friend? I oh yeah yeah I am. I, like I said, I'm I'm in I'm sorry I'm in Billings, Montana. Um, <laughs> so, but honestly, this is the first time I've been introduced to the term neurodiverse. I haven't. I don't know what that means. I'm going to get back to that. I will say, as far as Morgan's um, acceptance of this whole thing, for the longest time, um, anytime we mentioned, you know, the fact that she had autism, she would just cry like, "Hey," and like she just did not like to be associated with it at all. And then all of a sudden something changed along the way. Last year we were in Chicago and like uh, it was during, I guess there was an autism awareness day. I knew there was a month. I didn't know there was a day. And Meg mentioned it, you know, Morgan's like, Oh, okay, cool. And then Piper says, do I have autism? And Morgan says, kind of, um, (laughs) (laughs) her typical sister. Yeah. Um, But um, you know, the thing is, even though I don't, I'm not aware of the terminology, what I think I am aware of is the awareness. Like right now, I mean, people have wrapped their arms around it, for instance, in Morgan's school to the point where they look out for Morgan. You know, they know what's going on. I don't even know if they know the terminology or language properly. I mean, I'm sure they've been advised that Morgan has autism, but what you just have is an acceptance of it that, uh, it doesn't seem that they've really had in the past. I mean, even as she transitions to middle school, we have all these nightmares about her going to middle school, what we're told by her school, like, oh, you know, the you know the, the school that she goes to, these kids actually look after each other even at middle school, that type of thing. Um, so in just kind of opening up the conversation and using those type of terms and everything, it was interesting. I was having dinner with um, some people tonight and they talked about the fact that one of their son's um, friends uh, has schizophrenia. I don't know if there's a correlation here other than I said, Oh my gosh, you know, how, how, how is your son? And all of them responded. They're like, great. They are rallying around this. They're absolutely like, you know, if they go out and he starts feeling uncomfortable, they leave wherever that I'm just saying that wasn't the case. And I have my own personal experience with this, you know, 20, 30 years ago. 
I mean, something like that, you are a pariah. Oh, yeah. And so I think, yeah, I think just opening up the conversation and learning these terms, like I said, neurodiverse, you know, I'll, I'll go investigate that now. Yes, I love the term. Here's the other thing, too, David, you're kind of segueing into a point that I wanted to make is, is that I feel like a lot of the people, um, self-advocates and even parents that have strong feelings about the language and the terminology, I feel like, too, they were kind of mistreated or like their kiddos are probably older and their experiences were so much different than what our experiences are as parents now. And I will tell you, my experience is even different from when Isaac was little. And then of course with, uh, you know, cause Isaac would be, um, you know, 17 right now and, and Caleb's only just 12. And so just in that span of time raising Isaac and just awareness and different and how much education, um, and so I really do feel like a lot of parents were ostracized and, you know, like, oh, well, you should control your child or, you know, maybe you should discipline them, you know, like you can discipline autism out of your child. So I think that some of our self-advocates that are very vocal about the terminology and stuff, I think that's based out of trauma. I really do. And I, I get it. I totally get it. If you were stigmatized and it was a negative thing, then absolutely I could see why certain terms really become triggers and negative associations and you don't want them linked to you. Um, but the beautiful thing about it now is, is that, you know, we had a, you know, real courageous podcast here not too long ago on, you know, if autism was curable for your child, would you do it? And um, the thing about it is, is that for like, if you would ask me that question with Isaac, absolutely. Where is this magic pill? Where's the magic wand? What can I do with Caleb? Because we've done such a, a good job having him be comfortable with himself and acknowledge his, like his strengths, but, you know, and then the weaknesses and just explaining that, you know, everyone is different and here's what the things that you do really well. And here's the things that, you know, are kind of frustrating. Um, you know, we've done a lot of language around him being largely very, I mean, autism is, he considers it his superpower. He loves his autism because we spent a lot of time talking about it. And when things are frustrating, we talk about it or if somebody's unkind, we talk about it. Um, but I don't know if you guys would agree if, um, you know, a, if you feel like some of the reason why we don't have strong feelings about it, we don't have an opinion one way or the other is because things are different. Yeah. I mean, yeah, agreed. I, it just, um, I, I agree with Maria in, in the standpoint that it's sometimes over-accommodating, but, you know, the residual effect of that over-accommodating is the fact that, like, everybody is being almost forced to be aware. And, you know, at one time, I actually was a little bit uncomfortable with the concept, but, I, like, you know, when you see the benefits and when you see, you know, just the fact that, you know, I mean – our group of friends, everybody embraces us and Morgan, you know, it's not like, Oh God, they're coming over with that, you know, that kid. And who knows if it was like, I mean, 10, 15, 20, you, you talked about your experience with Isaac and all the things, you know, that you might've been excluded from. And this was what, 10 you know, years ago. Yeah. It wasn't so, that long 10, 15 ago. 15 years ago. And at this point, it's not, it's not even an option to, you know, they, our friends don't consider it an option to exclude us just on the basis of stuff like this. No, and I don't feel like either that um, 
maybe it's just because my world is so different. I have like my autism tribe. Most of my closest friends are autism parents or special needs parents, which just totally changes it in terms of just perspectives. Um, I call it my give a shit meter um, is just different. And my friends is give a shit meter is totally different too, because when you're hanging out and your close friends have kids with special needs, um, it, it's just different, you know, things just don't register or you don't get riled up about things like, um, like you would normally Tanya, we didn't circled around to kind of Maria and, and Tanya's con or, um, perspectives. Um, do you feel like from the, how old was Logan when he was diagnosed? Five. So five. And now he's, He'll be 10 this month. Okay. So in that span of time, have you, do you feel like things have been largely the same or have you seen kind of even a transition and an improvement in just the time, the years that you've been autism parenting? I feel like when he was diagnosed at five, I was worried that he may not get a diagnosis because he was so social, especially one-on-one with adults. (laughs) So, um, yeah, but he's definitely grown into his diagnosis and his, um, well, like he's improved in some ways and then some things have gotten a lot more challenging. Like when he was first diagnosed, he did not have that bad anxiety and he does now and it's gotten progressively worse and no medication seems to help it. So um, the biggest thing that we deal with, sorry, my cat's meowing. Um, It's just, I get almost immune to these types of things because we're so used to being at home and having to do virtual podcasts and stuff. If there wasn't a cat or a dog barking, it wouldn't be a podcast, right? So, yeah. So, um, but he's definitely like, he's improved in some areas. Like he's, he went from being extremely speech delayed from before he was diagnosed to like not talking at two. Yeah. To um, you would never know now because he's fully conversational. So like areas like that, have greatly improved, but his behavior has gotten worse, I would say, from the time he's saying this. Yeah. No, I hear that. It's like a roller coaster, isn't it? It's like all of a sudden you're like, we're killing it. And then all of a sudden we're like, no, we're out of control. Like, Maria, you probably, you've been doing this a long time too, girl. So I I feel like. And then we're down for a while and then we go back up and like it is. Yes. I'm with you. That's exactly it. Maria, like, come on, you've been doing this a lot longer too than some of us. So. What's your kind of perspective on that? I'm trying to stay pretty neutral on this, but um, I feel like, you know, how we were talking about how was it changed? Not only does my son have the autism piece that often needs explaining or recognizing, um, he is also um, African-American. Yeah. So we have to be super mindful of that with the behaviors that come along with his diagnosis and the concerns of just overall perception. Yeah. So it's either one or the other that we um, oftentimes have to be mindful of. Yeah. And since your kiddo is an eloper, that also really adds to the awareness of it as well, because we have found, and we'll be podcasting later on in the week about that, is that when you can't, when you're not there, when he is located, and you're absolutely right, he is a boy that's African American, and he is impacted in a way that he doesn't have language, and he can, Mm -hmm. he can, he's a, he's a tough kid, too, with, he's strong. and I think that's why we probably introduced him as heavily impacted. Like it just needs to be known that he's so deeply impacted by autism that not to be surprised if 
behaviors occur for no reason or things he doesn't change respond quickly. to you. Yes. And yeah. things will I change quickly. To, oh, without reason. Yes. Um, so we needed to discover a way to introduce him fast and furious, like I said in the past, oh, yeah. just for his safety. It really is a safety thing more than an explanation of who he is out of politeness. Yeah. We do it to keep him safe. No. And I think that that is a really Which good... I guess is what has changed over time is in the past, we didn't need so much the safety factor um, as we do now that he's older. You know, he's 13, but has the behaviors of a two-year-old, but the um, reasoning skills of a 10-year-old, which is quite a deadly combination. <laughs> oh, that is actually a really good point there is, you know, you articulated that perfectly when you're talking about their ability, you know, where they socially and emotionally, you know, like operate in terms of like, you know, chronological age versus what they can plot and how they can mm-hmm. achieve what they want. That's the thing. If you could channel some of that brain power in that higher level function of how to like, you know, avoid your parents and get, you know, evade and get to what you want, man, I tell you mm-hmm. what. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you're right. You have a really good point that safety becomes, you know, the language that you choose for Josiah becomes a safety. It's all about safety and making sure that people are clear just for as, as a form of explanation. So that's a really good point. One more question. How about the terminology touched versus impacted? Anybody care about that? Because for a long time, um, since I started the Isaac Foundation, all of our mission statements have always said for families touched by autism. Hello, Brian Keith. I see you in the background. Um, so when we talk about like impacted versus touched, I've always preferred the terminology touched because impacted just means, I don't know, I just feel like it's not like it's a bad word or an, it has a negative association, but I feel like touched was a better word for explanation because like the family becomes touched by autism. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just that person, like autism touches our entire family. Um, but again, it's impacted. I feel like is kind of strong is a, is a stronger word because be, believe me, some days we feel definitely impacted by autism. There's, I'm not saying that that is not a factor, but, um, you know, we have just always chosen at the Isaac foundation in terms of our mission statement to use the word touched. Um, does anybody feel like, you know, one is better than the other or, you know, it's thought provoking. doesn't have to be David. You're the top of my Brady bunch. I know. Um, I, I, I don't have strong feelings on that. And I think what I, you covered, what I was going to say is it changes on moment and moment, day to day. Sometimes we're touched. Sometimes we're impacted. Yes. You know, and I feel I mean, like if I say as a parent, I'm impacted by autism, you know, you know, my family is impacted by autism versus, you know, my family is touched by autism. But you're right. It's depending on the day. But you're both it, yeah. the family and the individual are both. Yeah. And so, you know, really, depending on it, I don't have a I don't have any opinion on what, you know, in, individuals use in that circumstance. But, yeah, both are appropriate and both change throughout the course of any day. How about you, Tanya? Do you have strong feeling? Do you feel like one is better than the other or both equal? I had never thought about it until you just brought it up. <laughs> I just also, I got a cue card here, people. Like I write my, you know, things pop into my head while I'm in the shower or driving and I just jaunt them down for our little conversations. It's not to me something I've ever given much thought to. So um, I would say I would go exactly with what David said. Yeah. 
Yeah. Especially during COVID, stay home, stay safe. I feel <laughs> definitely impacted. I feel impacted yeah. by a lot of things in particular. <laughs> stay but... school today. Yes. Yeah. He just yeah. needed a break. I needed a break from doing school with him. So he had the day off. Good good for you. Yes. Yeah, mental health is important for mom as well as child. How about yes, you, Jenny? I need my youngest to do school still. So. Oh, you did? Oh, that's funny. Look at you. I kind of am alternating between the kids. I have four kids at home that we're doing online schooling with. So I have to rotate it around where I'm going to trust you to do your schoolwork and independently do stuff today. And then I'm working with one pretty one-on-one. And then I have to flip-flop because there's just no way to spread that full attention on four kids. It's just not possible. How about you, Jennings family? I see your husband is in the background, the Maria. How do you guys feel about the dialogue or the, the language touched versus impacted? Um, you know, not a conversation with that. Um, but my, my take on it is, um, he's touched by autism. I think as our family, we are impacted by the behaviors um, that can come with it. But I don't prefer to say that he is impacted by autism because that would suggest to me um, that he's different than what he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, he's just perfect um, and he is who he's supposed to be. So he's touched by it. Um, and, you know. Yeah. I don't know. And I think when you say that he's impacted, it makes it feel like his whole person. Yeah. But when he's touched, there's other pieces to him. Like he's touched by autism, but he also is this and he's also in this and this. Yeah. Impacted seems so filling. Yeah. And it's like a thread. Yeah. It feels a touch feels more like it's a thread. It's part of who they are, but it's not like the like predominant thing. Well, I have one last thing and it's not has nothing to do with language people. So I'm gonna let you off the hook and not grill you guys about language and terminology that make you like feel good or cringy. But I was gonna say, we are a tribe of autism parents here. And I'm gonna ask this question because COVID-19 kind of took over the month of April. So we didn't really get to celebrate and um you know celebrate our loved ones the way that we would normally have done it we tried how we could but was anyone aware that the cdc updated the prevalence statistic for autism for the rate of autism did you guys know that that recently happened no no yeah so exactly it slipped right by me i happened to be on the cdc site the other day because i was um curious and i was also just looking for some other like um nitty-gritty data data, and they actually it was one in 59 children impacted and now it's one in 54 so not a huge change but i thought well they changed it and it really just kind of with everything else going on in the world it wasn't really discussed much um so the rate of boys affected versus girls affected stay the same because the the prevalence rate didn't change enough that they altered that but they did indicate on the cbc's website that they do feel like Um, It's likely many more females are affected by it, but they're still studying the criteria that's being used. And also females are a lot more adept at hiding or trying to blend in, like they're more consciously aware of it. And so they try and blend in. So they work harder to hide their their differences. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. So I'm just more or less bringing it up there because we missed it and nothing was really said much about it. And so I thought I would just throw it out here. I will also say that the data is 2016, so it's still pretty dated. But 
anyway, the one in 59 was from data from 2014. And this is um, the one in 54 updated statistic is from data collected in 2016. So there you go. A little bit of information. Look at you guys. You guys are all have like illuminated faces over there. Hey, Holly, I have a question for you. And I don't know if this is the appropriate podcast to bring it up, but if it has to do with language, but it was a thing that you saw that I went all Papa Bear on the other night. Oh. Um, and so I don't know if this is a language discussion or for another uh, podcast. You let me know. Hey, you know what? Let's throw it out there um, because it has become, yeah, it, it, it has been during the month of April. It seems to come up a lot more. And so now we're into May and June, but it still seems to be out there more. So David, go ahead and throw out the conversation. I was on Facebook and just doing random mindless stuff and up came a mask that had the autism symbol with the colorful puzzle. And I was like, Oh, cool. And I wanted to see how much it costs. And unfortunately I casually looked down and then saw a discussion about the fact of how demeaning and how derogatory the puzzle symbol was. I'm like, what are we talking about? And I had never been introduced to this concept before. Yeah. And people were saying, you know, that you're, you're suggesting a fractured and fragmented individual where, in fact, they're not this, that, the other. And it was just the people that were on there were just flaming and shaming anybody that had any positive association with it. Yeah. Um, to me, it was just it was disturbing in a couple of ways. A, just because, you know, everything is people's perception. Um, you can assign whatever meaning you want to whatever you want. I mean, there are certainly instances where that's not the case, where something is so obviously, you know, offensive or otherwise that you cannot debate it. But I think the more disturbing thing, and I think this is where the, the communication thing comes in, how often have there been things that we have engaged upon throughout the course of our lives, and then we were told otherwise, and then all of a sudden we wag a finger at people that are still engaging by like, how dare you do the very thing that I was doing forever until somebody educated me, but more so it's just what a blown opportunity. If, if that's truly, you know, something that you believe strongly in to, to try to educate people. I know this is a very crazy association, but recently, like as a family, we were you know in the mall and we were, we'd seen a movie. We'd gone downstairs. It was Christmas time. This person had a couple of reindeers in this pen and so we went to take a look at the reindeer, and I was just absentmindedly following the girls. I really didn't care. And all of a sudden, two protesters with a sign were coming up, and they were coming to protest something else. But they were like, you know, this is really wrong, and you, you should all be ashamed. And then they walked away. And I'm like, um, again, that type of missed opportunity, whereas, like, had you either engaged in a dialogue about, you know, thoughtfully engaging with people or set up a table across the way so that you can actually engage people in a discussion as to why this is wrong, because your only purpose in that instance is to really make somebody else ashamed. And that's how I felt in this particular forum. It's like, you certainly have what could be considered a legitimate discussion, but all discussion breaks down because all you want to do is point out why I am wrong for having any sort of positive association with this. And the reason I went all Papa Bear with it is because, A, Morgan has now started to embrace her autism, starting to ask questions about it, very thoughtful questions. Um, and, you know, I have two pairs of socks that have the autism puzzle in which she loves. And the other thing, too, lo and behold, she loves doing puzzles. So, you know, again, 
this is a perception thing. If you could engage me in a discussion in a thoughtful manner and approach me and say, hey, you know, I know that's been long associated with autism. Here's another perspective on it. I am willing to listen. You approach me with you're dead wrong and you're derogatory and, you know, you're demeaning your child. It's like, don't tell me what I'm doing. So, you know, that's really why I got worked up. Yeah. Have any, Tanya, have you heard about the debate, the negative debate associated with the puzzle piece? Yes, I have. Also on Facebook. And out of curiosity, (laughs) the people that are really adamantly against it, the people that were bashing the puzzle piece and talking about how um, negative of of a symbol it is. I mean, people are actually saying that it is the equivalent of the Nazi um, the, the Nazi symbol, which I was like very surprised to hear that because again, um, I think that might be taking it a, a stretch too far. Um, but so you have seen it and, and who are predominantly the people that you guys have seen protesting it? If I might ask. I mean, like Tanya, it, it was Facebook. So I, I had to take it with a grain of salt after I reached out to you, I did say, okay, wait a minute. With any segment of anything, there's always going to be the lunatic fringe on both sides, the 5% on both sides that pollute the water for everybody. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and one of their arguments was like, well, it makes them seem like, you know, an incomplete fragmented individual. Guess what? So am I. And I don't have autism. So you want to paint me as a puzzle, too? Sometimes I am because there are pieces of me that sometimes go missing that I find, you know. It, it applies to me as the typical person too. So anyway, yeah. maybe that's not the point, but the point is like engage in a discussion. Don't sit there and tell somebody they're wrong, demeaning and shaming them with that. They've never been like, I've never been introduced to that concept. And if that's how you're going to approach me, then all communication breaks down. Yeah. How about you Jennings family? Since we have husband wife sitting there, have you guys seen the debate about the puzzle piece or was that a shock for you tonight to hear that there's a debate about a puzzle piece? I've never heard of it. Um, I guess I just assume the puzzle piece represented like it just correlates back to the touched by autism. Like it's a piece of who he is. It's not all of who he is. So that just helps identify one piece of him. But I've never heard that discussion that it was derogatory. Yeah. Oh, Brian Keith, have you heard yeah. it? Yeah. I have yeah. So I had not. Oh, you had not. Oh, um, yeah. I was, Quite <laughs> yeah. So where it has come from is that um, I'll give you, you know, in case you're listening and you're no. perplexed by some of this conversation, where it came from was, um, unfortunately, it all stems around the organization Autism Speaks. And so Autism Speaks early on when they first began, um, one of their they really were looking for a cure for autism. And that's very offensive for individuals with autism, because, again, you're implying that there is something broken. And so they used the puzzle piece and some of their early campaign were that we're going to find the missing piece, like that missing piece so that we can fix these people. And so again, when you're talking about, um, you know, the puzzle piece and some of what the symbolize symbolisms that they used early on, again, you know, a bless families who have kiddos in their 20s, 30s, and even 40s, because life was a lot different for you. And also those kiddos that are now, I say kiddos, but those young adults that are now in their 20s and 30s who were subjected to some of that propaganda that they were broken. And I it, it's horrible um, because they really weren't dialed into the spectrum, you know, of autism. So, and so that was kind of some of the associations in early marketing that unfortunately was put around, um, you know, that 
awareness of what autism was to get it in the forefront. So that's why it becomes, so now the puzzle piece is a trigger for some individuals. So I do get quite a bit of, I don't want to say quite a bit, I do get hate um, emails, Facebook messages, um, and such about our logo because we have, Isaac Foundation has a blue puzzle piece in our logo. And it's also blue too, because um, the autism community has also been trying to change the color from blue for lighted up blue, um, because that was associated with autism speaks and it's still associated with the puzzle piece and they want it to be red or um, this um, other symbol would be an infinity um, loop, um, like a gold infinity loop or even a rainbow. I've seen a rainbow. So that's kind of the debate behind it. The interesting thing about it is I have the messages and some of the hate language, hate emails and messages I get is um, generally from self-advocates that say that the puzzle piece, when they see it on our billboards, is a trigger. And they want us to change our logo to remove the puzzle piece because it's such a negative stigma that, again, they feel is the equivalent of the Nazi insignia. Um, and, you know, it. it I, I will be honest, you know, well, you can look at it as pieces, you know, when you have a puzzle, um, it's not complete until we all come together. So I have always looked at a puzzle is, is that they, all the pieces have to come together because we all play a perfect role in completing it. And so that was part of it when we started um, creating our logo, the puzzle piece was important to me because, you know, for me, Isaac is gone. So my puzzle piece is very personal because if you look at it, you know, I gave birth to four children. And so there's four outward tips or three outward tips of our puzzle piece. And then the inward connecting piece is, is a, a symbol for Isaac for me. You know what I mean? Like we have dedicated our lives to connecting with the autism community. Um, and that's, again, we're all a piece to the puzzle. So I am with you guys. Like I actually think a puzzle piece is a really beautiful symbol of us all coming together. And again, together, we all complete it. You can't have, you know, there's, you know, we need each other in order to connect in order to complete the big picture. So I have repeatedly been asked to change well, and then my logo. Complete, um, but I don't. I don't, I'm, and I have no intentions of changing my logo, just so you guys know. And there was there was complete disagreement, Holly, among self-advocates, mm -hmm. amongst the people that had autism. Absolutely, just absolute disparity of opinion. And it just, and Brian, is it Brian? I'm sorry. Brian um, you had, yeah, you had mentioned, you know, maybe you should invest, don't investigate it. I mean, it's just another. I don't, it's a rabbit it, hole you'll go another, down. Well, yeah, and it's just, do we need another thing, another divisive force, especially amongst this community? And that was my larger point. It's like, look, you know, have a discussion. Approach this from a rational standpoint. Don't sit there and call somebody ignorant for not knowing something that they were never introduced to. And most of all, there's so many divisions out there. Do we really need to divide this community? Sometimes we get so sucked into seeing the world only from that small little lens because of how it affects us. And we have to start, we have to be willing to be able to see the, through other people's lenses and why a puzzle piece may, while it may not be your bag, that's totally cool. Um, to throw the, throw it away because of, you know, one person's negative associations, you know, when you have a trauma, we have to work through it. Right. And that means maybe getting working through that association that they have towards that puzzle piece. So hopefully um, we'll still work together as a community to try and see if we can like overcome it. But it, it, every, every April, I have to tell you, I, it seems to always heat up for me. 
And also maybe during COVID, because I feel like in COVID, we don't have enough to do. So then we sit on social media a little bit more and complain, maybe. So maybe this year was just worse than normal years because we had a lot of extra time on our hands. But yes. So. So, Holly, you know, again, not um, knowing much about it other than what we're talking about now. You know, I'm curious if people wonder about they talk about the negative impact of the symbol. What about the negative impact if you changed it at this point? It is so well known and so many people um, know the symbol and bring awareness to. And there's a lot of people out there who can still, um, I guess, I mean, they see the symbol, they're aware, you know, they help family members. It, it, it just uh, how many people we may lose in the you know when you change a symbol like that mm-hmm. i think that you stop reaching the number of people that you do sorry go ahead yeah no i think you're absolutely right i also think you know we have the lighted up blue movement and they want to switch it to um one of the color the color that the majority seem to really positively like is the color red which i think is interesting because i think you know red is a real aggressive color um, and so I was really surprised mm-hmm. that that was the color, um, that was the color that this movement is really kind of moving towards is, is red instead is what it's called the red instead movement. Um, and I just am really surprised at that because red is, a, that is a very strong and, um, aggressive color. Just when you're talking, if you talk to graphic designers, we actually did a podcast, my friends on, uh, interior design. And we did talk about the color red and it can be a trigger for individuals with autism. And we talked a little bit from a, from an interior designer's perspective of why red as a color palette is a terrible idea. So isn't that ironic? Um, so I was really surprised when I was, um, tagged in a bunch of red instead, um, dialogue online. Cause I always get tagged in all of these things. I always get drug into all of the arguments because, um, you know, and, and I don't debate it in a negative way. It's just I think people want me to just weigh in on why it's not so bad. But anyway, I think you're right. You know, people do associate the color blue with raising awareness. And it's like the breast cancer color. What everybody I think knows the breast cancer color is pink. pink. Now, there's different shades of pink depending on what organization you are, right? Mm-hmm. you know so yeah, well, and then like, there's a danger like with Ryan said like so yeah you change it there's an equal number of people that can be offended by the changes too mm-hmm. like you know a different segment but an equal one so you're just gonna and yeah and so just where does it end and uh, again why are we seeking divisions amongst us that don't get it yeah like I said I, I see it a lot of, you know I'm not I don't doubt that for some it is a trigger and there is a lot of negative association but generally speaking you know you got to work through that there's actually very therapeutic ways of working through some of those negative um, trauma you know induced kind of triggers and so you know there's options but um, anyway very heated debate Um yeah, if you're tempted to go check it out, if you want to learn more about it, feel free. But you're going in a rabbit hole, people. It's just understand. And, and also, too, um, you, you're not going to change it. I guess that's the other thing, too, is I can't change a self-advocate's perspective and say, OK, so here's the way it really is. And this is what everybody else associates with the puzzle piece. Um, so now you need to be OK with it. It doesn't work like that. 
And so that's one of those hard things about this debate. It's kind of like the, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, trying to get people, you know, to under, be able to see something through a different lens is just frustrating, right? You know, yes, you're right. We'll never change, folks. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Maria and I have been having a discussion lately. In society today, everything is turned into a versus thing, you know, uh, right versus left. Uh, you know, even the movement, it has to be, well, all lives matter, not just black lives matter. Now you're talking about a puzzle piece versus this. We're so divided and absolutely everything has to be one side right, one side wrong. Yeah. You know, the reality is we're all not one side of, or, or the other side on anything. We're, we're a pendulum on every topic, on everything. Yeah. And we've forgotten that as a society as we've gone along the way. And, you know, it, it's difficult. And it's, in my opinion, you know, really sad yeah. that this is what we've turned into. I agree. It's all about winning the argument. Now, who's, who's got the best part? Who's going to win the argument? Like, okay, I, I, I give up. I surrender. You win. But, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. but you've said it before, David, when you get on, you know, when you're debating with people, one of the things that, you know, I think that um, you have to consider is, is that you're not going to necessarily change my mind, but what you might be able to do is get me to see it from a different perspective. So I understand your argument. I'm still going to sit over here and, and believe a puzzle piece is a, an appropriate um, you know, symbol for Isaac Foundation and our particular foundation because of its meaning for us personally and the color blue. But I can see it again, you know, I'm never going to not, you know, like the puzzle piece, but I can understand it from their perspective and why they feel so strongly about it. Um, you know, and I think yeah, that's if really... You, if you're engaged in a conversation... Then I want to see, a, you know, you have a different perspective, but it's one I respect. All you can hear at me with anger, shame, and, you know, you are ignorant. Like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to have anything to do with you or whatever your movement is. You know, it's impressed upon me. You know, when somebody's yelling, you don't hear what they're saying. You just hear their anger. Yeah. That's it. You don't hear the words anymore because you just want to tune it out. You're defensive, and that's it. No discussion. Yeah. I agree. Uh, uh, because we don't anymore society um talk and have communication skills uh critical thinking skills for ourselves Mm. it's i'm right you're wrong period i'm not going to be able to have an actual conversation listen to you and your side of that you have you know maybe even do research or try to understand and figure out that side and you know maybe admit that maybe i'm wrong yeah Uh, I think the biggest thing we need to learn as a community, as a society, is that we need to um, learn how to agree to disagree. We can still like I can be friends with people on both ends of the the vaccine debate and love them um, and not necessarily believe in their where they're at, but respect them because I can agree to disagree. Um, I can see where you're, I'm listening to your argument and this discussion, but it's not going to necessarily change my mind, but I feel like I understand where you're coming from and why you have those strong feelings. And so that's where I feel like as a community, as a society, we need to do a better job at, you know, it's not right, wrong. It's that I can listen to what you're saying, still believe what I believe and be able to walk away and be okay with it and not, you know, walk away mad 
or, you know, call somebody a name because they're not jumping on board and changing their mind, my perspective. Mm -hmm. Tanya, we left you out there for a little bit. Did we, anything we want? No, I, don't, I think I don't have anything to add. Okay. You're just like, I'm going to quietly not get involved in this I, argument. I ridiculously early this morning, so I'm starting to fade. No worries. You Actually, don't want to jump in on a polarizing issue? Come on. Tanya, you're safe here, I'm honey. Gonna... Like, we, you know, like, I'm just going to, with that, Tanya is tired, and we are going to wrap up this podcast so that Tanya can go to sleep. Because I'm with you. I was up very early this morning because we had an obsessive, there was a release of a new video game today. So oh Caleb was up at oh dark 30 <laughs> wanting to know if it was time to, um, you know, purchase this and whether or not he met my expectation for like the chores that he had to do to earn it. So I have been up for a very long time too, Tanya. So I'm with you. So we'll go ahead and wrap up this. Thank you guys for joining me. I know um, this again, this is wasn't didn't start out as a really charged conversation about language. But, you know, when we start talking about I'm sure some people that listen to this have some strong opinions um, but just understand that, again, we are here as a group of parents discussing it and, you know, open to listening to other people's respectful opinions. Um, so and feel free to make any comments you want in in the comment section. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Love. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.